Welcome back, listeners. We're your hosts, Miranda Stan and Pooja Bhatti. We're extremely excited for our upcoming panel featuring various podcasters and videographers, science communicators from across Canada. In the weeks leading up to the panel, we will be conducting short interviews with each panelist to hear a little about what they do and what they're most looking forward to in our upcoming panel. This week, we talked to Jesse Lupini, a filmmaker and science communicator. Alongside Lucas, he is the co-founder of Avo Media and is the director of several award-winning science fiction short films. Uh, so to begin, Jesse, why don't you tell us a bit about your role at Avo Media and kind of the journey that led you to there? Yeah, well, I guess, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Lucas and I, uh, we, we don't have like official titles at, at Avo. Uh, it's really just the two of us running the show. But uh, generally what ends up happening is I tend to be the one sort of taking on a bit of a creative director role and running a lot of the creative and um, look and feel of what we make. So we make, I guess I should back up and say what we do, which is um, <laughs> we, we, we make science communication um, media content for all sorts of folks, for um, news sites and for doctors and universities and pretty much anyone who's having trouble communicating scientific concepts to the general public. Um, yeah, I don't know how in-depth you want me to get at this point. <laughs> So something that I'm pretty curious about is based on the bio that you sent us, um, your, your background is more in kind of the media space. So how did science become a part of your career? How did SciComm become part of that? Because a lot of the people we speak to, they have a bachelor's in this and a master's in that, or they have been involved in science for a long time. So I'm curious about your journey and how SciComm kind of came to you. Yeah, I, I definitely in this industry, I'm surrounded by people with a lot more formal education than I am, uh, which I, occasionally, I mean, I used to get kind of self-conscious about because I mean, quite frankly, I dropped out of university um, partway through a, a bachelor's degree in computer science. Um, so I have half a degree and I spent the the time after that really pursuing a lot of creative um pursuits. I, I started off doing programming and design. I did iOS development and um, a lot of web app design and development, and then ended up pursuing filmmaking for a while um, in Vancouver. So I have like a pretty broad set of design and yeah, media skills, I guess. Um, science has always been a huge part of my life. It's always been something I absolutely love and I'm drawn to constantly. Uh, I, I'm a one of those sort of lifelong learner type people who is constantly trying to find out how things work and fill in the many, many, many gaps in my, my own personal knowledge of the world. So I always knew I wanted to do something involving science for a career, but I never knew exactly what. And I had begun to feel like, you know, I initially, I think, had this idea that I could, you know, go in a more academia focused direction with my life. But I really didn't have a, an easy time in university, partially because I wanted to do a million different things. And I don't tend to focus super well on uh, single tasks. 
So I found myself spending every moment of my free time trying to learn random new skills that were utterly unrelated to my degree um, and ended up sort of pursuing those full time afterwards. I love that. Actually, I resonate so much with your story, actually, <laughs> as someone who I technically have a bachelor's in science, but I'm in the field of HR. <laughs> so I think funny. that's, uh, I was going to say, I think that's a common thread between all three of us because I jumped from science to engineering and then into right. HR. So, <laughs> so, but I love that. And I think I, I, we've talked to a lot of people that have multiple backgrounds, and I think that really is what brings kind of something unique to the table. Do you find that's the case with you, and that helps you work with Lucas, who has a bit more of that sciencey side? Yeah, totally. I mean, w- what we're doing, what I'm doing every day at work is helping c- communicate complex ideas generally to the general public and to more of the layperson, and so. Uh, in order to do that, I think you need two things. You you absolutely have to have a really good understanding of what you're explaining. We've all had that experience of like trying to explain something that you realize halfway through you don't know very well. And then you go, oh, I thought I understood this, but I actually don't understand it well enough to explain it. So you need to understand how it works, but you also need to understand how it feels to be completely confused about it. So I like to think I bring that aspect of it to the team between Lucas and I. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I can I can wrap my head around the the content that we're explaining, and I spend a lot of time learning it and, and understanding it. But I really feel like a lot of my job involves putting myself in the shoes of someone who is just completely overwhelmed and confused by even the idea of understanding whatever it is that we're trying to explain. I think you just described my thesis. I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> No, that's fantastic, though. And I actually, I think that's almost one of the best mindsets to be in, because there's nothing like someone trying to communicate something in the most advanced way possible. And you're like, I, I don't get it. You know, science communication, if you want to communicate a message, it needs to be in a language people can understand. So I think that's great. I think that's really exciting. I just there's so it's so often I feel like when people are explaining (laughs) complex ideas and you just watch somebody's eyes glaze over as too many numbers or dates or graphs or units or whatever get mentioned. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really fun task for me to try and explain things to people that they never thought they'd be able to understand and have them walk away going, oh, I actually totally get this for the first time. I love that. I love that. Uh, I was telling Lucas this yesterday that your guys's video about the BC election showed up on my feed that you guys oh. had made together. And that because I was really confused about what was going on. And that was it broke it down for me so well. And I'm like, Oh, my goodness, this is a great thing that they're doing, <laughs> even though it wasn't SciComm related. But I mean, BC politics right now, it's really important for people to understand what's going on. I shared it on every social media I had because I'm like, oh, people need to understand this. And it was great. so simply explained that, that no, I think that's incredible. But yeah, that's awesome to hear. I mean, like I, I, people mention that to us sometimes. They're like, it's funny that you guys seem to do uh, science explainers and then also these like politics explainers. But in my mind, they, they're they very, very similar because they, they 
both science and politics are topics that people who don't follow them really closely can feel super alienated by when, uh, you know, insiders talk about all these details and terminology and twists and turns and things that that most of us are just like not paying attention to. Um, and, and and so making a video that explains uh, what's going on in politics is not that different from a video that explains a complex scientific concept to me. It's what does the average person know? What is the average person most confused by? And how can we bridge that gap? Totally. That kind of leads into our Next question. So just looking at today's world as it is, why do you think science communication is so important? Or just being able to communicate a message in a way people understand? Why is that so important? Oh, well, I mean, there's uh, on an average year, there are, I feel like, so many great examples of the importance of clearly and effectively communicating science. But I mean, right now we're, we're in a living, breathing case study for it. Um, co- the COVID-19 pandemic has within it a-, a whole bunch of case studies of really well communicated, communicated scientific concepts. And I'm thinking of the, the idea of flattening the curve, which picked up really, really quickly. People caught on to, um, it was a-, a great message that everyone could understand. Uh, and then I'm thinking of some of the failures of, of communication within the COVID-19 pandemic. And, I, you know, some, of, some of these are, um, potentially blameless in terms of whose fault it actually is. But we can still look back and go, the way that the communication around, say, the importance of wearing masks has occurred has been really brutal and and not great and resulted, I think, in, combined with a lot of other factors, of course, um, a, a general, I guess, it's resulted in a, a lot of disagreement about what people are saying and what the science says and distrust in new information. Um, I, I think had the, had the idea, sorry, I, I think that earlier on, had we seen clearer communication about what masks could and could not do, um, mm-hmm. even as we were still learning every day, how they were potentially effective in fighting the spread of COVID-19, we might not see the, just ridiculous level of a backlash and distrust on, around new information that we're seeing now, especially in America. Yeah, the masks particularly are a tough one, as in the beginning of the pandemic, they were advising not to wear them to kind of prevent a supply chain shortage. But then very quickly, that tone changed. I remember I was boarding a plane to Vancouver for to essentially relocate right when COVID was starting. And they were like, no, you don't need a mask. That's misinformation. But then when I was taking a plane home by the time Easter hit, you couldn't board the plane without a mask. Um, I guess which kind of leads me to my question is when we're dealing with situations like COVID or maybe more long-term interest such as global warming, where it's going to be something in science we are going to have to communicate for a long period of time. How have you adapted your communication style at Avo Media or in any of your passion products projects to engage people on these messages that might feel repetitive after a while? Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, we deal with sort of fatigue around these issues all the time. Um, it's a big difference between reporting like really breaking, you know, exciting news about new topics that's coming out all the time versus, yeah, these periods we're in right now where 
the the information around climate change is coming in at a trickle, but a very steady trickle. And people are really tired of hearing about it, I think. Um, and yeah, same thing with COVID-19. In terms of w- how we've adjusted our, our messaging and the way we communicate, I think the main thing is to just be aware of that, that the topic itself is not only not exciting to people anymore, but it's something that people are actively exhausted by. And I think that raises the bar of what needs to be communicated. And it raises the bar of how much you need to make sure you're grabbing people early on because people are not seeking out information the same way they they used to be um, about these topics. You, You really have to cut through the noise. Totally. We've actually, we've talked to some panelists about the idea of using TikTok to communicate (laughs) science. And I mean, you know, whatever people's opinion is on TikTok, I know people who love it. I know people that hate it. I've never tried it. I think I'm a bit too old for it. But (laughs) there are a, a lot of the younger generations on it. That's how they're keeping in touch with people. That's how they're getting the creative outlet there. And if people are on something, and if you need to get a message across, it's you know, I guess it's this idea of meet them where they're at. And I guess, do you think maybe that's why things like podcasting has started to become really popular amongst people in science communication or in other fields? Because yeah, completely. I, I, I think the meet people where they're at thing is huge. Um, you, you can't, we, we see this all the time where people will be like, oh, I'm making this video and I'm only putting it out on YouTube and I'm hoping to reach kids with it. It's like, mm you really have to know where your audience is and what kind of media they consume. Um, another really common one is, Hey, we're, you know, we're making this video going to post it on Facebook and hope it gets a lot of traction. And it's an hour long. It's like, uh, no, like people are not watching hour long videos on Facebook. Um, hour long video, post that on Vimeo or on YouTube. Um, uh, Twitter, you need super short content. Podcasting is great because there's a huge variety in terms of what people are willing to listen to. And I think maybe the most versatile, it has the most versatility in like length and format. Um, but like, yeah, you really have to know who your audience is, where they like to hang out online and what their attention span is. I think without that, then you're, you're, you're just totally going to miss them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That is total. And I think that kind of is across the board for almost any field you're in because the world changes so fast and what's interesting one minute is not interesting the next and I guess that really keeps everybody on their toes and I suppose also further puts in the importance of having people of multiple backgrounds at the table because maybe you know maybe if you don't know much about science you maybe know a bit more about marketing and where the target audience is at or you know all absolutely no absolutely I think you're totally right like I mean I'm terrified that uh I'm going to one day look up and realize that I'm a dinosaur because I'm not communicating stuff on TikTok. And (laughs) 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 yeah, like I I also feel a little uncomfortable on TikTok. It doesn't feel like a place for me. Um, But that doesn't mean that if we have a particular job where we need to be communicating to that demographic, um, that I shouldn't be trying to find and hire someone who understands that demo and understands that world and is able to access those people because you know th- th- those people are not on Twitter 
<laughs> people who are on TikTok are generally not on Twitter. They're on TikTok. And I can tweet a million amazing tweets and nobody will uh, care. So... <laughs> I, for one, love your Twitter, though. I very much enjoy it. That's good to hear. I'm always a little self-conscious of my Twitter uh, because, like, I feel like, especially because Lucas's Twitter is, like, pretty on brand. Like, it's pretty clear, like, science communication, BC politics. Mine's, like, a bit of BC politics, a bit of SciComm, like, a lot of weird jokes that feel really strange and a lot of, like, weird Twitter (laughs) stuff. And then, like, some music nerd stuff, some video game nerd stuff. It's it's a little over the top, and I I feel like anyone who follows me is going to very quickly be like, "What is going on here?" You know, I just got Twitter, so I <laughs> am having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, what do you think? <laughs> it's it's a kind of overwhelming at first, eh? It is. Oh my goodness, I avo- I'm somebody that maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm always late to the game with social media. Like I'm, I'm sort of born in that year where I could be millennial. I could be Gen Z, but I was raised such a millennial that I was really late to every single game, but you know, kind of being involved in this initiative and with science slam, you know, being on Twitter, that's where, you know, meet the audience where they're at. That's where people Mm -hmm. interested in SciComm they're on Twitter. So I said, okay, I need to go get a Twitter. And it is. It's so overwhelming. You find out that I have three Twitter accounts, so I get the same news popped up three times every time Twitter <laughs> updates something. It's overwhelming, but it's also fun. And yeah, having three Twitters ensures that I always have two likes on everything that I tweet. Hey, so. there you go. I'm terrified of Twitter. Ever since Miranda Sings sent me a cease and desist, I'm terrified to post anything. Wait, what? <laughs> 100%. So... Miranda Sings sent me a cease and desist because my Twitter, just Miranda Things, was too close to her branding. Uh, just because of your, like, Twitter handle? Oh, yeah, 100%. And they what did you do? That doesn't, doesn't seem like a thing you could do. <laughs> I don't know. If Snoop Dogg can try and get people to buy their handles, like, off, like he gave up his handle and then was trying to convince people on Twitter to buy it back then I guess you can, if you're a celebrity, Twitter's fair game. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's crazy. The, this is why you have a name like Pooja Putti, because <laughs> I had a Twitter a while ago, and then when I got involved in student government, I got rid of it because I got scared, and now I've brought it back. My Twitter handle was never taken. Oh, no one amazing. took it in the past two years, so like, great, I can have the same Twitter handle. But then people were like, who would take a Twitter handle like yours? Because, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a very unique name. But Yeah, so... there's definitely advantages to that. <laughs> For sure. There's very few Lupinis out there, too. I, I, I get some of the same benefits. Oh, yeah, I can imagine that. I can imagine that. <laughs> um, but kind of just circling back into, yep. you know, So we have a panel that's coming up in November that you and Lucas are a part of. And we've been told by some of our panelists that we've kind of hit the jackpot getting you guys on our panel. So that's we're so excited. Um, But what do you hope that attendees will get out of this event? I mean, I I think it's just going to be cool to have a conversation. I I just like talking shop, right? So I I think it's it's fun for me to just like talk about the kind of stuff we do um, and I guess, expose the process a little bit. And I'm hoping people will um, take some cool things away from that. I I often feel like the nature of what I do involves a lot of the process being very hidden from people because the process is like, I 
I don't know, maybe not interesting to the average person who we're actually trying to reach with our content. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are really interested in SciComm and are, are super curious about how that process goes. And yeah, I'm hoping that people are going to come away from it with like some cool ideas about, you know, new ways to interpret content and translate it in order to make it more understandable to the people they're trying to reach. And I'm hoping to learn some stuff as well. I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. And no, we, we are also, we are going to absolutely be taking notes during this panel yeah, to get some tips and tricks because kind of like I mentioned before, we're also trying to figure things out, <laughs> but yep. that's what you do, right? That That's how you, that's how you, do things you just kind of jump into it and just hope that it works out exactly that's total that's always what i do in fact lucas and i are like we, we often joke that we're like we're very well suited to work together because we have very different approaches to a few things in like really good ways um one of those ways is lucas really likes to plan everything out in a lot of detail and i a hundred percent just jump in both feet and and you know <laughs> i often have to dig myself out of a hole I've created for myself. <laughs> but um, I, I tend to learn a lot on the way as well. And um, I think there's definitely a place for both of those approaches. And when you combine them together, you can have really cool things happen. I think Pooja and I can really relate to that sentiment because she had <laughs> all of our questions pre-scripted and our interviews planned and five meeting five minutes before every interview, I'm like, yo, can you send me the Google Doc again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I'm very familiar with that. I, I, I wing it a little bit too often, I think. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a sort of positive feedback loop, unfortunately, because I, I find that, I, I, I don't know, I think everyone has a different experience with this, but I've often found, I don't know about you two, that the, the absolute best way I function is to be really, really prepared, but then also totally wing it. Like to do both of those things, like prepare, prepare, oh. prepare, 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 and then throw it all out the window the moment before. <laughs> I also feel you described my thesis defense there again. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, but I think I think that's honestly that's the way you should do most things in life is that, you know, you need to have a plan in case it totally messes up in your face, but then also kind of see what happens. Yep. It's and the magic school bus philosophy to life get messy, make mistakes, end up like half-baked in outer space or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I watched a lot of Magic School Bus growing up. I've got big Miss Frizzle energy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Me too. I still remember that episode about the bloodstream and like the blood cells looking like donuts. Oh, totally. That I, episode? Oh, so good. Uh, that episode's why I wanted to be a cell biologist. Oh wow! That's kids. Yeah, it's amazing <laughs> how many people like can think back to a specific episode of Magic School Bus and be like, "That's the episode that got me into blank." Oh yeah, that and when Arnold turned orange. Orange. Like, yes. What? <laughs> do you remember the? Do you remember the name of the food he was eating? Too much of. Oh, was it the See the Mall Blasters? Uh, no, no it was, I think Seaweedies. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. The seaweedies. Yeah, they were like, yeah, they were like orange fish or whatever that were covered in seaweed. And he was like, they're green. Why am I turning orange? Yeah, <laughs> a science digression is they're actually trying to grow 
algae for like single cell protein for human consumption. So we could Ooh. be eating seaweedies and turn orange pretty soon here. I'm looking forward to it. I, I would I, love to see what happens. I want to see if I can get any Can I get any more orange? <laughs> Amazing. I used to I used to watch Magic School Bus, but I loved Bill Nye the Science Guy. That oh, me was too. I still remember <laughs> and if I ever have a chance to meet Bill Nye, I would like to know if so it was the episode on digestion. And that's kind of what got me interested in physiology which I ended up studying uh. and he, you know, I mean, it's Bill Nye and it's a kid's show. So he's going to be like, well, like if you go eat a burger and he puts a burger in a blender, then he puts fries in a blender, then he puts a milkshake in a blender blend. And he's like, this is what happens in your stomach. And then he just pours it and drinks it. <laughs> and I remember being in grade five being like, no, he didn't actually drink that. Did he? So I'd love to ask, like, was 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 there a separate proper milkshake that you were drinking and just trying to fool us children? Or did you actually commit to your role and drink that <laughs> disgusting burger fries milkshake oh. concoction? I think he was the dawn of a Japanese game show. Um, because there was one where they do that. They put random items in a blender and drink them. It must There's be a Japanese game show for everything. <laughs> my favorite thing in the world have you seen the one this is a total digression now but oh my gosh have you seen the one where they like put somebody in a room and like a few things are made out of food and like normal objects and they have to figure out what's made of food and what's actually just the, the objects with their mouth <laughs> no yeah so oh it'll be like a person it'll be like a guy in a room i've just seen like clips from it they'll and they'll, they'll be like a guy standing there and there's a bunch of things and like pencils and a computer and he's got to figure out what's made of food and then he like bites the doorknob and the doorknob <laughs> is made out of chocolate and <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> yeah it's a dream it's, it's just incredible amazing isn't it funny what what we end up talking about when we are trying to talk about psychom i know and you have a list of questions you're trying to get through and i'm talking about japanese game shows where you can eat doorknobs you know i love that though i love that um it just makes me think of that canadian uh psa the don't you put it in your mouth yes like that game show is the reason that needed to happen and that in my mind is one of the best examples of kind of science communication because that jingle is still in my head to till day i can sing the whole thing oh yeah me too it's it's unbelievable that that's our team cheer for our ultimate frisbee team what <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's amazing yeah, oh it's great and those little monsters i can picture them oh my goodness the psa that comes to my mind is the one about hippopotamuses eating peanut butter and you know they did an update of that eh really? there's a new version out it used to freak me out as a kid. It was so, like, they're like, don't believe everything you see on TV. Until this day, if I, it sometimes shows up on my Facebook of, if you're a 90s kid, you remember this. And it, it scares me for some reason. It's just like, <laughs> I just kind of turn around every time it comes on TV. And I'm like, oh, no, someone's behind me. It just really freaks me out. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, I get scared by it very easily um, so jesse so leading up to our panel where can people find your work um well it depends on which of my work you're attempting to find um i feel like the easiest place to find stuff that i've done is either on um 
the website for Avo Media, which is avomedia.ca, or on my Twitter. And I'm at Jesse Lupini on Twitter. Yes, follow him on Twitter. You will have a very good time. But you have to be okay with um, a lot of weird stuff coming up sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Content warning. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jesse, for being a part of our podcast and being a part of our panel. We're really yeah. excited to have great. both you and Lucas there. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's fun. Uh, okay, Miranda, unless you want to say something, you can <laughs> press pause. No, every time I try to say something to wrap it up, I like horribly mess it up. So we're just going <laughs> to leave it at that. <laughs> And that wraps up today's interview. Be sure to tweet us at Side Networkers to let us know what questions you'd like us to ask Jesse or any of our other panelists during our event. The panel is on November 8th at 1pm Pacific. And if you haven't registered, you can find the event on our social media. We hope to see you at our event and see you in the next episode. <laughs>